0: We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey everyone, welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I'm here as always with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott, how are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Today's going to be a fun conversation around some myths and fads of fasting. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to put a little inflection of a question mark on the end there intentionally. Uh, We're going to break down a couple of the things that we hear and see out there uh, and why there is some confusion when it comes to fasting. And in our goals of doing this podcast and getting the message out of how important and powerful fasting has been in our lives. I want to make sure uh, that we give a, you know, as we always do some direct action steps, and we're going to talk through some things we've mentioned in the past in a different way in a different angle, but really just hit a couple of um, the two biggest things that we hear, or a few of the biggest things that we hear Um, in terms of fasting that could initially be taken as a negative. So I think it's going to be a fun conversation. And if you're new to the podcast, then go ahead and go back. Start from the beginning. Listen to episode one, Tommy and I, its uh, story and how we ended up here and how we ended up on this podcast and starting the challenges and coaching and programs and courses and all the stuff that we've done over the almost coming up on two years now. Um, Learn a little bit more about who we are. And uh, Tommy, let's dive in to today's conversation about fasting—air quotes fads.
1: Yeah, um, I, I hear that that term a lot, and you know we've seen posts about it. Is could fasting just be a fad? Um, my the first thing that comes to mind is is just um, fasting is as old as eating. So I, I, I no feel way. like yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh it it's kind of it's kind of a non-starter it it's kind of a um uh it, it's it's a it's a it's a contradiction in in terms right there because we can't we can't be fasting unless we're eating and there is um there's not a lot of there's not a lot of uh, hold on points there's not a lot of strength in in that kind of um uh, statement there
0: yeah so if we go all the way back to you know, the days of Hippocrates, right? The father of modern medicine. Um mm. don't know if he'd appreciate that uh label. Maybe a hundred years ago it might be a little better than it is today. Sure. Um, but you know, there was he would prescribe uh, and recommend, you know, fasting for a handful of different types of illnesses and things uh mm. back in that time. So fasting, like you said, I love that point. It's been around um since since food, right? Since eating, yeah. <laughs> fasting and fasting and feasting. Um, the other reference that we make mention a lot of, and you can find the PDF is the fasting cure by Upton Sinclair. It's a, it's a, it's a a group of case studies and anecdotes. And he was a reporter and people would mail him letters back in the day when people wrote letters Mm -hmm. across the country. And he just kind of put them all into this book. Um, and it's incredible because it's done in 1911 and some of the, stories and the accounts of how fasting was impacting people even back then was just so incredible. So now we're here in the age of information and Dr. Google and, you know, uh, the, the Encyclopedia Britannica that you have to go, used to have to go to the library and check out, you know, the, the L, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, volume, right? I right. Even forgot the word, the L right. volume to go it's like learn a, it's about like a
1: four inch thick, you know? Yeah. Like if you're doing a report book.
0: on lizards, you had to go right. like literally pull it <laughs> off the shelf and find the, the the number, right. And mm-hmm. the Dewey decimal system, if I recall properly, man, I'm dating myself here, but you would then, you know, read a few pages of what was published on that. Now we have more information out there than ever. So we've gone from Hippocrates to the fasting cure in 1911 to now, um, where fasting has become much more mainstream but there is this belief out there that um, it is more of a fad type diet
1: mm-hmm. and
0: not a lifestyle change. And that is the complete opposite of our experience and or what we hear from the thousands of people that we've talked to and or taken I, through these challenges.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it was it was it's 180 degrees mm-hmm. different from that. I've I've been through all of the, you know, the fad diets and, and all that kind of stuff like that. That's what I did first. And, you know, stumbling upon fasting and finally getting those mental barriers for myself, just some of these limiting beliefs and some of these like, oh, well, fasting must be the same thing as calorie counting, right? Like a calorie is a calorie. So w- why do I need fasting? I don't need to restrict the time if I'm like micromanaging my calories. There, the, the problem must be somewhere else. Was th- that was my story before fasting.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting in being in the the health and wellness and, you know, having uh, a nutrition concentration in my undergrad. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at one time I worked at GNC, you know, when I was in grad school, like always wanting to be, you know, in the gym working out, you know, different incantations and different periods of focus throughout the years. I've always had this desire to know more and understand more. And I've always loved the the, the field of nutrition, except when I got to grad school and we, we, we talked for four or six weeks on just the definition of fiber and how it differed in Canada versus the U S and versus this state and versus this dietitian board and versus, and then I was like, I don't know if I like this anymore. My point of bringing that up is, you know, there's a lot of layers and nuance to what fasting is. And it's, I, I, I don't like when it is labeled as, you know, a, a fad type diet, because people will say intermittent fasting is not a magic pill, or it's not a sustainable lifestyle change, because it can lead to um, the diet cycle. Well, you and mm-hmm. I are very real about the fact that fasting in the beginning is not easy, but it is simple.
1: Right? Yeah, and and very simple, know, but very not easy sometimes.
0: Yeah, right. So that one we can dispel pretty easily. But the one about the the one I really wanted to focus on, and this was from an article. That was that was written. And the the number two is it is not a sustainable lifestyle change and can lead to the diet cycle. So they define the diet Mm. cycle as, and we talk a lot about this too start the diet, restrict the foods you love, deprive yourself of any joy in life and increasing your your water intake to yeah, yeah, your will to live. Your craving, you get cravings because you're craving the foods that you've deprived and restricted. Mm. Then you give in and then you feel guilty and shame, and then you start the Mm. diet over again on Monday. And mm-hmm. that is, that is not the fasting for life life cycle,
1: right? right? You, you missed a step though. When, when you have that guilt and shame, add more food to it because that helps make you feel a little bit better in the moment, right. right? Okay. And then, and then the problem's a little bit worse and then repeat cycle on Monday, a little bit worse off than where you were last Monday. At least that was my personal cycle.
0: Of course. And it's something that we hear a lot. We know that weight cycling or yo-yo dieting increases the inflammation, increases oxidative stress increases the risk for chronic diseases diabetes, heart disease, eating disorders, etc mm. so it's like okay, it, if that's not working then then let's adopt a different perspective and not just you know um, you know paint the duck blue and call it a whale right like like just something so outrageous where you're like no no I'm looking it has feathers in a beak like that's still a duck but it, just because you painted it doesn't change the animal that it is So my point of that odd analogy is, for fasting, it is a complete contradiction for me. When we look at it's not sustainable lifestyle change. It can lead to the diet cycle. It it mm-hmm. is a different cycle. So you're starting with an intention to set a timer. So yes, mm-hmm. you are restricting the time when you're eating for a from a physiological purpose. Right. And you're then not depriving. You're allowing the foods that you love and enjoy into the eating window. Right. When you decide right. to break your fast, and we'll talk about right. this you know, in a minute about the, you know, eating at different times of day. And we'll, we'll go down that fad or, uh, <laughs> or, or untruth or myth here in a minute. Yeah. And then this, you know, myth. Yeah. And then you eat and you enjoy it. So over time, when your hormones and physiology start to balance, your cravings go down, you have less desire to have those foods. Right. And then at the end of the cycle, you actually regain confidence in control rather than guilt and shame and then the diet doesn't have to start on Monday. It's simply the cycle simply restarts when you restart your timer.
1: Yeah. So there was, there was an aspect in there. It, it's almost instead of uh, being a, a vicious cycle in the wrong direction, it's, it's allowing that time to actually heal some of those food relationships is a little bit of what I just heard, as well as okay. the physiology that goes along with it. That leads to some of those cravings that bring us back to some of those foods that aren't serving us, so we're 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 putting time we're putting some separation time um between those things and allowing uh rebalancing to happen within our our insulin sensitivity our our cravings as well and then and then ultimately the calories that we bring in and the types of foods that we're actually enjoying and look for looking forward to
0: so to to continue the conversation through these five points right of why. Um, it can be said that fasting is a fad and not an actual lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. The first was magic pill. We dispelled that pretty easily. Um, number two, that the life cycle. So we just broke down the life cycle. The third thing is here, it says it does not teach you anything about the composition and nutrients in food. Well, maybe the material on fasting that this person has read or people see on, you know, on the worldwide web, right? The, encyclopedia Brit- britannica on steroids right like all of these different articles and things like it, one of the things that you just mentioned was we talk more about the emotional connection and relationship with food than we do about fasting like fasting's super simple like you're either fasting or you're not right right um but we do spend a lot of time talking about and this is why we came up with the insulin friendly food list and and the insulin friendly lifestyle. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think came up with those terms, but we've adopted them into our programs and into our mantra.
1: Um,
0: because we do really want to focus on giving ourselves nutrient dense food. So our body knows that it has, it's safe to, to burn fat. It's safe Mm -hmm. to balance hormones. And I, I just fasting isn't, we say this often reparations for something you did over the weekend or, restriction so you then can go off the wagon right and and fall flat on your face and have to restart the cycle again right Right. like fasting you want to focus on the 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 composition of foods and we talk a lot about that as well
1: yeah and you know because it's going to matter it's going to matter for how easy it is to actually set that timer to stick with it and then coming off of it and then and then setting your plan for the next fast. That's going to come after that, because, you know, the composition of the food's going to matter, but it, again, it's going to affect those, those cravings and your actual, you know, physiological balance. So I, I think that, that it's, I, I see why people will, will say like, oh, well, fasting just a fad because it, it's, it's exploded in popularity just in the right. last few years. I mean, it's, it's kind of everywhere. Um, I mean, you, you know, obviously uh, we're we're a bit we're a bit more narrow in our focus, but I I see it pop up, and people seem to be a little bit more familiar with it than they were a few years ago. And then right. so it it can be easy to kind of paint it with this broad brush, like oh well, it must be a fad because I'm just now hearing about it, and because I've tried other things in the past and they were obviously like some sort of fad, they didn't work. So this is probably just not going to work either. And then just kind of like shut down from there.
0: Yeah, and it, it it's. It's interesting because as, as I continue to read through this, the last two, just to round it out here, were it causes you to ignore your body's natural hunger cues, which is actually the opposite of what happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, a lot of our hunger cues are not actual hunger, and we, we break this down in detail. We've done episodes on um, the cephalic phase of hunger and dehydration and stress and sleep, and how those all can mess with your leptin and your ghrelin levels, which tell your body if you're hungry or if you're full. And then the fat cells themselves can increase the leptin resistance. So your brain's not hearing the messages. So fasting actually helps to balance those things out. And one of the things under this one is like, well, yeah, if you skip breakfast, then there's studies that show you have a higher, you know, increase in obesity and diabetes risk. Well, if your hunger cues are actually working properly, um, waking up in the morning, not hungry is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, especially if you're at that maintenance weight. So in the weight loss process, I just don't like that as like kind of the cop out, like don't skip breakfast. You're going to eat all your food later, which leads into number five, which is an unhealthy relationship of food. Mm -hmm. Um, what we find is that it actually develops that control and that healthy relationship with food. Now we're not talking about severe eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia and those types of things. Mm -hmm but just this vicious craving the the diet cycle that we explained earlier. (laughs) Hey, y'all wanted to take a second and tell you just an incredible story about an amazing company that we've come across recently. Um, And now they are a sponsor of our show. It's airdoctorpro.com. You can head to the website, use a promo code fasting for life to receive up to $300 off. But most importantly, uh, my little guy, my two-year-old has not slept consistently through the night. We are grateful for you listening in and now back to today's episode.
1: Yeah. Like it's okay to wake up, not hungry for breakfast. It's okay to not have that breakfast, right? Like that's the easiest way that that that's the natural way to fast, right? Is, is we go from, you know, at at least from dinner to breakfast, but just extending that by a few hours by not having breakfast um, you know is 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 a good uh, easy way to kind of extend that fast but you know when when we talk about meal timing there's there's some other interesting aspects of that too which is that when when we start looking at the data and you say okay well does meal timing matter and that's where one of these these kind of fad comments came from it said right, um, it's it's not about the time of the meal it doesn't matter if you eat late at night, it's about the calories. And so that's, that's kind of going back to the, the calorie is a calorie is a calorie, but it's, it's not just that simple for the human body.
0: Yeah, especially if you add in resistances, like the pre diabetes category, you've got right. a little extra rate right around the midsection, you've got some you know, a couple, couple decades of, of yo-yo weight cycling, yo-yo dieting Mm -hmm. type stuff. So yeah, just for clarity eating, this was the thing that spawned this conversation. Eating late at night doesn't cause weight gain. Calorie surplus does. Mm -hmm. And my response is both. Yes. And no, maybe question mark. There's some other factors that I want to unpack here, Tommy. And I'm, I'm, that's why I really love how these two go together because it's like, all right, Here's the breaking down of some of the actionable stuff, but let's put a little science in here too. And, um, I'll, I'll tell a personal story as well, but we've done an entire episode on time-restricted feeding or early time-restricted feeding, meaning Mm -hmm. comparing the meals, eating the same meals or the same amount of calories throughout a certain time window. And the results are pretty staggering.
1: Yeah, uh, they, they are because um, when we start looking at what's actually happening, physiologically speaking, um, you know, you can you can look at these different trials and they had dozens of, of people and all the way from um, from healthy young individuals getting into pre-diabetic range all the way into diabetes. Um, but what we find is that the results are are the same in that if you eat the same meals, the same number of calories um, at different points of the day, the body responds differently to those. And if you're at a healthy weight, it might not matter to the scale. You might not see what's happening in the scale, but even over just a matter of a few weeks, you will see differences in blood work by doing that. You can see changes in your glucose response and in how high your blood sugar gets and how high your insulin levels get after a meal by eating later in the day. And if we're already overweight and you're you're looking to drop some of that extra weight. That's going to make the process very, very difficult. Like you're, you're really swimming upstream. Um, and that can be the reason why you're counting all your calories and doing everything right, but you just can't seem to, you know, hit that 1.5 pounds per week that you kind of calculated out. That's, that was where I was a few years ago.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because now there's, there's research on some of this stuff and, I, I, I like the framework of, you know, okay, what is, what do we, what makes sense? Is it logical? Okay. Now let's go try it. Right. So there were four pilot studies Mm -hmm. uh, that were done uh, on time restricted feeding. Right. And we've talked about this specific article in the past, but not in this light of if I eat late at night, does it cause weight gain? Mm -hmm. Um, The, the calorie in calorie out model will say no. um, But adding in some of the hormone components, like you just alluded to, it it does indeed happen. And the four trials were done in different eating windows between four and 10 hours. And it's really the nuance here for me is people want to lose weight because they know they should, right? Mm -hmm. Most people realize that carrying extra weight around is not a good thing. Your doctor tells you society tells us good or bad, social media, et cetera. Like we know that there are health effects to carrying extra weight. And that's really what motivated you and I to start fasting Mm -hmm. is that, you know, we knew that the path we were on and where we were trending wasn't going to get us to where we needed to be. It was going to, you know, put us on the path of, you know, my family, my previous generations, my grandparents, my dad, they're all on that same path, right. Trending in that direction. So Mm -hmm. the point here is not necessarily about the weight, but it's more about the, health metrics like insulin levels, insulin resistance, uh, cholesterol levels, inflammatory markers, which all lead to blood pressure issues, heart disease, diabetes, which we know shortens your lifespan. So these four trials looked at middle of the day and evening, and it was cool. Um, this was in the introduction of of the article on cell metabolism, where it said, restricting intake to the middle of the day, reduced body weight or body fat, Fasting glucose and insulin levels, insulin resistance, hyperlipidemia, and inflammation. So it reduced all of those things. If you compared that to the time restrictive eating in the late afternoon or evening, that produced mostly no results or worsened postprandial, meaning post-meal, post-ingestion of food, glucose levels, beta cell responsiveness, which is the insulin-producing cells in the pancreas, blood pressure, and lipid, lipid levels. So right there mm-hmm. in the introduction of this article they mentioned two other, a handful of four other pilot studies that showed eating midday, so MTRF, midday time-restricted feeding compared Mm to um, late time-restricted feeding showed better benefits. And then on top of that, the the article talks about moving that window earlier in the day and the benefits even exceeded that.
1: Well, yeah. And, and, and that makes sense because if we think of our sleep cycle as our, our bodies need to, to regenerate cells and, and rejuvenate energy sources that we've been depleting all throughout the day, then our, our physiological machinery is not as efficient later on in the day. It's not equipped to, to process the same volume of, of food or make the same sort of repairs. And, um, you know, we, we can't, we can't do all the same digestive processes, uh, while we sleep, the body's focused on different things. So, uh, we need to give it enough time to, to do these things. And, you know, like intuitively, um, I, I can, I can think back to having a, a heavier meal later on at, at night versus, uh, lunch or breakfast. And just the feeling that you have, like you, you can tell you haven't had enough time to kind of um, process through that. And the, the scale will reflect the same way. Um, the, the cravings, yeah, sleep and, and then cravings and then your physiological responses the very next day are going to be worse off too, from that, from that later eating time. So these, all of these, these data, um, corroborate like personal experience for sure for me.
0: Yeah, I want to share a couple of those too, because there's a study here um, from one of the CGM companies out there that showed uh, this gentleman that had some pretty crazy blood sugar results changes, Mm. right? And the whole point of mentioning insulin and blood sugar is that insulin is the molecule, uh, is the hormone that allows your body to burn fat, right? So if insulin is high, you're not going to be in a fat burning state. Yes, you might wake up the next day and the scale goes down a little, but that's probably water retention or whether or not you use the restroom that day or how many sure. times you have. Right. So, mm-hmm. and then that whole, you know, carbohydrate keeping the water retention and how heavy water is. And um, so you'll still see the changes, but you're not really burning that fat, which is what we want to see. And the cool thing about that article, it goes on after it compared the, the, the middle of the day and then the later in the day um, when they actually showed the early time restricted feeding and they moved those meals actually even earlier in the day, Mm -hmm. Um, it showed some aspects, direct improvements of cardiomyelobiotic health, but it also was done in a group of men with pre-diabetes, which shows that the early time-restricted feeding is an effective strategy for treating those types of conditions at like pre-diabetes and pre-hypertension. So Mm -hmm. we're talking about like real life
1: health effects by
0: just moving. So let's in certain situations, a calorie is a calorie. In certain situations, it's not. They're both, yes, of course, a calorie is, how do I say this? A calorie is always going to be a calorie. But we've got multiple checkpoints here saying, okay, like you said, you're struggling, you're doing everything right, you're counting, and you just can't seem to get get the momentum going, just simply moving that mealtime earlier in the day, like this gentleman who did the um, the CGM challenge, he said that eating the same thing for lunch and dinner, um, excuse me. He said that, um, when he ate the same thing for lunch compared to dinner, his blood mm-hmm. sugar numbers <clears throat> in the evening, when he ate dinner, the same meal would go up by uh, at almost 20 milligrams per deciliter. So wow. a blood su- a 20 milligram spike in his blood sugar from eating the same meal at lunch and dinner. And that's the same thing that happened to me when I did some testing when I was a guinea pig for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And when I had breakfast <clears throat> versus dinner, I tested my blood sugar and my ketone levels. And when the blood sugar numbers came back, like I couldn't even believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was crazy that the response in the evening, I was seeing 40 and 50 milligram spikes. So if I was, I don't have to remember the numbers off the top of my head. If I was a hundred in the morning after the meal, I was a one fifty after dinner.
1: Yeah. That's, that's huge because that's, that's where your a one C is coming from. So that means all the while a one C is ticking up a a marker for, you know, pre-diabetes, blood sugar issues, and your, your insulin response is going to have to be higher to try to combat that too. So all the while, Telling your body, let's lock in some more fat. We can't tap into more of that that long term fat because insulin levels are having to go so high. And and you had a a level of data on that that most people don't. So like that's what's happening under the hood. And uh, if all we're seeing is the number on the scale, it's really not telling us you know what's going on.
0: Yeah, there's one more quote I want to read as we wrap up today's episode, and this is from a WebMD article. Um, but the article was actually written from a brain surgeon, a neuroscientist, and I love how they put in a father of three teenage boys. (laughs) And his thing was, he loves fasting because of the mental clarity that it gives him. And he goes through different fastings and, you know, what he does and a little bit of the science and whatnot. And then he talks about the real benefits and real risks. And under the real risks category, there's a quote here from uh, the department chair of the Department of Nutrition and Dietetics at Idaho State University. And it says, the most looming question is if this pattern of eating might have long-term detrimental health effects. And she says, when it comes to disease treatment overall, there has been very little research done in humans. Mm-hmm. And this brings it back full circle to the beginning of how we opened up this podcast episode where we talked about fasting has been around since the ingestion of food, right? Like this has been around for a very long time. And if the goal truly is improved health metrics, then I am willing and living proof that I'm willing to roll the dice mm-hmm. that I've created regained control, re- improved all of my, my blood metrics regain my mood, my happiness, my ability to be a better dad, a better husband Mm -hmm. to get more done. Like this brain surgeon, more clarity and mental clarity during the day. Um, and I, I just want to encourage everyone out there, you know, the people that are on the other side saying things like, well, this pattern of eating might have long-term detrimental health effects when the complete opposite is true.
1: Yeah. Don't, um, Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say, right? Like, don't, don't, you know, we we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, be be too scared of the 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 small maybe risk that would paint us into a corner to not take that massive action. Get started and see huge life changing results. So, you know, I'm going to encourage everybody to to get started. So, if you haven't um, gotten started go ahead visit the website thefastingforlife.com, download the fast archive download the insulin assessment see where you are and if you're if you're already taking steps then and you're not really sure why the scale's not moving or why you're not feeling better just yet why don't you try a little bit earlier eating window instead of an OMAD dinner do an OMAD lunch throw in a few of those and eat the same things see how you feel Uh, it might be just enough to kind of get the ball moving again.
0: Yep. Do it and recommended for that as well. By the way, nobody puts baby in the corner. Little, uh, shout out to, uh, one of the classic movies of all time there. If you don't know, you don't know, but uh, go ahead and Google it. It will pop up. Um, one of the greatest lines of all time. Um, so awkward in the moment too, but yes, move your window. Uh, and then I would say stick to it for a good seven to 10, maybe 14 days and see how you feel, see Mm -hmm. the changes you note. But just know um, that the fasting lifestyle has been a wondrous, incredible gift to you and I, Tommy. Uh, For all the you listeners out there that have been listening for a while, we appreciate you. Uh, Thank you for the comments. Thank you for the questions. Thank you for the five-star reviews. We appreciate those the most. That tells Apple Podcasts and the powers that be that we're doing some good work. So, Tommy, as always. Thank you so much for the conversation. Head over to the website, like Tommy said. Check it out, thefastingforlife.com. And we'll talk soon.
1: Thank you. Bye. So you've heard today's episode, and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter, where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day life.
0: While you're there, download your free fast start guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.